In John 17, Jesus is praying, and it's a, uh, some people will call it, like if you have subtitles in your Bible, they'll call it the high priestly prayer because Jesus is metaphorically kind of our high priest, or in the priestly system, the priest would be the mediator or the go-between between the regular person and God, and Jesus being that high priest model would be the go-between between us and God the Father. And Jesus prays this prayer in John 17, uh, near the, like, on the last night he's on earth, he, he's actually prays this in this garden, and then he's arrested and crucified. And so the things that he says we would take to be pretty significant, and there's this short piece in the middle where Jesus prays. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he actually prays for us, uh, which is a, a weird thing to think about, that Jesus, when he was on this earth, prayed for people like you and me, and, and like actually you and me. And then Jesus has this little passage in here uh, that talks about uh, what it is to be um, a believer, what it is to be a person uh, who is of Jesus or a follower of Jesus in our world or in his world or in the world in general. So I'm going to read this all the way through, just, just like four or five verses. It'll be on the screen. And then there's a few things that I want to talk about. Uh, if you're like a notes person, this is a good Sunday for you because I have like a one, two, three, and you can write things down and feel like, good, you know, sometimes James doesn't have any point, and now he can, so, and that's not true. All right, so thank you for laughing. <laughs> John 14 says, I have given them... Your word, the I is Jesus in his prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, though your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, Jesus' prayer there is pushing in a particular direction and is delineating what the um, posture or the position of the people who follow him should be or what Jesus would pray that it would be. If you thought about just culturally, if you're, maybe you're just here for the first time, maybe it's the first time in a long time you've been in a church. Culturally, the position of Christians, uh, the perception that uh, the position of Christians has is that Christians are very much uh, like against things. Like Christians stand for this and then standing for that, they stand against something else. And that position or that posture of Christianity is uh, like it's a valid critique of Western Christianity today because it's, a, uh, it's at least an excusable one because that's the position that's advertised in the media. Because positions that are against things tend to be more newsworthy or at least entertaining, right? Like we don't see on the news very many instances of like the police hanging out at picnics with people, right? That's not on the news, although that happens all the time. Uh, the, uh, the police actually get along with people, but that's not on the news because nobody's going to stay up late and watch that because they know it's true. We want to stay up and watch the thing that's surprising. So if we can find it to be surprising the way that Christians, if we can say, oh, they're this religion of love, look how much they hate, and then there's a surprise in there. And so the modern critique of Christianity in our culture is that they are uh, like... Uh, 
overly political, that they're hypocritical, or they'll throw the word homophobic out there because these are the uh, best ways to, to denigrate an organization in our culture. And so the position that a church takes towards its culture, if the church chooses to not have a position towards the world around it, then a position is given to the church by the world around it, and it's usually accurate. There are churches that exist, they're called secondary separationist churches, that don't just ha not hang out with bad people, uh, they have a definition of what that bad people is, but they don't hang out with people who hang out with bad people. Are you catching that? It's like if you want your kids to have, hang out with a certain group, oh, but you can't hang out with that group because they do hang out with the group I don't want you to hang out with. And so it's only one step away. And, and I always criticize secondary separationists because I don't agree with that. But why aren't they like thirdary second? Like why don't you not hang out with the people who do not hang out with and not hang out with the people, right? And I figure it's because nobody understands what I just said. Uh, but if, if you're just not hanging out with the people who hang out with bad people, then you probably should not hang out with the people who do hang out with the people who you don't want to hang out with, right? And you can push your religion this way. And we should have like, like six degrees at least of separation from anyone who knows Kevin Bacon. But there is this, <laughs> right? And you can see the way this kind of thing starts to fall apart. But we, as Christians, feel this urge or this cultural push to move towards um, like a homogeneous unit or move towards ourselves. It's sold in, in little things that we say like, uh, like a, we are a, have a safe alternative. And we're, oh, okay, then that means there's a dangerous, an unsafe alternative, and that's the one that we need to avoid, and this is the one that we need to be with. And Christians will start institutions uh, or with, and you need to understand this, I don't speak out against Christian institutions. I love Christian institutions. But what happens is some Christian institutions are formed or shaped out of a basis of being afraid of that which is unsafe. And so this is, instead of it just being a Christian school, it's the safe school. Does that make sense? Uh, and so I'm not saying all Christian schools are bad. There are fantastic Christian schools, blah, 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 okay? Like, I shouldn't have to say that to you, but, um, uh, <laughs> but there is this... Um, fear-based response that happens. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then a fear-based response actually doesn't equate because you believe that Jesus is all-powerful, that Jesus will provide for you everything that you need in order to honor his name, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you're a Christian reacting out of fear or creating or instituting Christianity out of a fear-based motivation, actually denies the faith that you're trying to profess through your institution. That's all kind of complicated, but what it points at is that there is a necessary interaction between the Christian and the non-Christian. There's a necessary interaction between the church and the community that's around it. And there are some who choose that interaction to be one of like shunning and avoiding and set up our own alternate reality that is a Christian reality. And we soon find out that the problem isn't necessarily all in the world. Sometimes the problem is in us because of the way that we interact with the world. There are very few and short-lived instances of this 
utopia that is a Christian utopia when you move into your Christian neighborhood and you have your Christian whatever and your Christian bus picks up your Christian kids to go to their Christian school. It becomes a complicated issue because we know that all Christians are fantastic except for the ones that aren't your kids, right? (laughs) And we start to run into, and this is why if you ever find the perfect church, you probably shouldn't go there because you'll ruin it, right? <laughs> that's just honest. And that's why you come to the Grove because you're like, that church is so screwed up, I can go there. <laughs> that's why I pastor here. But the, I want to talk about what it is to actually live this out and how we actually have a posture towards the world where we can say to the world or say to the people who are not a part of our church community or not a part of any church community that we're with them. And I want to say before I push into that, that what we're actually pushing into is a more complicated way of life. Because there will be people who are making choices religiously, morally, spiritually, that we would uh, say are harmful to them, and maybe even harmful to society in general, or harmful to the people around them. And to say, I'm with you, without saying, I'm with you even though. Without saying, and this is a common thing, we love the sinner but hate the sin. Because oftentimes what we point out as sin, the person we're speaking to points out as uh, identification. They identify themselves by what we would call sin. And so to say we hate the sin, where the person that we're speaking to actually hears, I hate you, but I love you, and which leaves them even more confused than before we opened our mouths, which is obviously not the goal of opening our mouths as Christians. So I want to, and if you're a note taker, get out your pen. This is going to be awesome. Number one, and it's not going to be on the screen because this is a surprise. Number one is I think that in order to be, I love this because a bunch of you are just like, yes, and you're writing things down. Number one is that we are able to see God in our world. A couple of key scriptures for this is like in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God is making people, he actually says, let us make them male and female in our image, in the image of God, which we would say is a trinity or a three-in-one, so it makes sense for him to say that. If God had said, let us make them the Christians in the image of God, it would be a completely different story, wouldn't it? But God doesn't put a qualifier on who bears his image or who doesn't. Actually, I had this conversation with a friend of mine that hates Christianity. It was an online conversation, so it was even funnier. But they actually got mad at me because I disagreed with them. And how could I disagree with them if they're made in the image of God? And I'm like, man, tons of people disagree with me. They're like, well, this, that's, it's here nor there. Because I do believe that all people everywhere are made in the image of God. This means the person you hate the most, and I know you don't hate anyone because you're in church, but later on when you're in the car and your phone buzzes and you're like, oh, I'm not responding to that. I hate that person, right? And you can say that because you're not at church anymore, you hypocrite. But... Um, <laughs> When you feel that, and all of us have that person, that person who kind of gets under our skin, maybe hate is the wrong word, or maybe the person that bugs you, the person that drives you crazy, or the person that you just really struggle to explain how you love Jesus to, or the grace part of forgiveness. 
that person actually bears the image of God. And the problem isn't that they've maligned it. The problem, I would say, is that you have maligned your ability to see it. The lowest of the lowest in our town, the person who you would think is the lowest of the low in your neighborhood or your city or your workplace, actually bears the image of God as much as you do. There's no qualifier on that bearing of the image of God. And so in order to stand with people, it's actually remarkably easy if you understand that all people everywhere bear the image of God. That means the people whose lifestyle you disagree with, spiritually or politically or whatever, those people bear the image of God. And so it's easy to extend a certain amount of grace or mercy or patience or forgiveness towards those people because when you look at them, you see an image bearer of God. And if you want to know what God is like, you can look at humans. Not everything that humans do is something God would do, but in or on every single person is an imprint or there's a, a Christian song that says that the fingerprints of God are on people. Then we move forward in Romans chapter 1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible because my Bible college professor explained it this way. In Romans chapter 1 it says, since creation, or since the beginning of time, all creation bears witness to God's uh, eternal nature and divine power. And so people are without an excuse. And so my Bible college professor would say there are two kinds of people in the world, those who acknowledge God being eternal and divine and those who are liars because they deny it because the Bible says it's been made plain to all people. The Bible actually, this is a real verse, that all creation says this. And so there are people, when you go out, we were up in Portland last night and we were up on the hill and you could see across and see Mount Hood. And for me, living in this area, I'm just like, Wow, this is so beautiful, and it makes me glorify God. According to Romans 1, there are people who look at this and say, oh, this is so beautiful, and then they don't glorify God. And according to Romans 1, they're actually suppressing the truth that they actually know. And I'm not, if you're here and you don't love Jesus or you think the Bible is a crock, I'm sorry that it says you're a liar, but it does. And so there's, I'm just going to be honest with you, and you can think that's hateful and blah, 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 and I'll give you a hug later. But there is a... Yeah, one of those things is not true, but there is, uh, <laughs> but there is this, it's the hug part. If you're here, it's the hug part. All right, so, <laughs> but if, if Romans 1 is true, and if it's in the Scripture and we're going to believe it to be true, then the ability of the Christian to see God all around us or to see the evidence of God all around us actually makes it easy for us to be in the world because the world in our minds belongs and bears image and bears witness to God. And so when I form my own Christian huddle and I create a a Christianity that is a fortress and we don't look out into what is dangerous, what I actually do is I lose an understanding of the aspect of God. And when I move into that which is outside of my fortress, when I move forward into the community around me, what I actually do is experience a fuller or a more whole image of who God is. At its core, that is why we do things like Night Strike. 
Because naturally, most of us aren't going to form relationships with the urban poor in the inner city of Portland, in the downtown area of Portland. That's not going to be in your normal day-to-day drive around. And so you'll actually, and according to the scripture and according to what I think, actually miss out on the fullness of understanding of God if you're not able to interact with people that your mind would tell you are beyond the image of God, but your experience would actually show you and you'd learn. By, and not just in Portland, but even in people in your peer group or at your workplace or in your extended family, if you're not able to see the image of God in people, you're actually limiting your understanding and your knowledge and your very experience of God. Second, and the second part, uh, some of you love this, right? You're sitting there, why is he talking so long? What's number two? All right, number two is being holy. Number one, seeing God. Number two, being holy. Being holy is kind of an interesting thing to talk about because when Jesus is on earth, the Bible tells us he never sins. He is what we would call holy. And holy is this thing that we think of as being like sacred or apart from us, like we would consider ourselves not holy and Jesus would actually be holy. Holy is when Jesus says, I am not of this world. Because of this world, there's something to this world because sin has affected this world and there's a little bit of decay. I don't know if little bit's the right word, but there's a decay, a general lostness or brokenness in the world around us. And things that are holy would seem to be put back together or, or seem to be not broken whatever that means theologically, in Jesus, we would consider to be something that is holy. And so Jesus refers to himself as not of this world, and then he actually refers to you and I in his prayer as not of this world. They're not of this world as I am not of this world. And all of us who would claim Christ or claim to be a follower of Jesus, to a certain extent, bear this not of this worldness. The Bible refers to it of saying, like, there's, you're a citizen of another place. You're a citizen of what we would call the kingdom of God, or what the Bible would call the kingdom of God, but you're an ambassador here. Just like an ambassador comes to America, they're not a citizen. They're a citizen of some other place, and they come here to increase relationship between those two places. And ambassadors from America go over the, all over the world in order to increase the relationship that we have with different places all over the world. And so when we see this thing as being holy, Jesus as being holy, and we don't see ourselves as being holy, we actually lose out on some of the prayer that Jesus is giving. Jesus is actually, when he walked on earth, There was a time he was walking, there was a man whose son was ill, and Jesus is going to walk there, and there's a big crowd all around Jesus, as you would imagine, because you've seen the movies, and this woman who was incredibly ill and spent all her money trying to get well, and none of the doctors could help her, thought, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch, and one verse says, just the hem of his robe, then I will be healed. And she touches him in the crowd. Jesus stops and said, who touched me? And the disciples say, all right, Jesus, you need a Snickers bar. Like, there's all these people who've touched you. There's this big crowd all around you. But somebody touched Jesus in a particular way. For a woman who is ill to touch Jesus, according to Jewish scripture, which Jesus fulfilled, actually would make Jesus unclean. 
would mean Jesus would have to go through a series of sacrifices in order to be acceptable to worship in their system. But that isn't what happened. And this happens to Jesus repeatedly, where he goes through and does things that should make him unclean. But because of Jesus' holiness, holiness actually spreads, not uncleanliness. If you're writing things down, write that down. Holiness spreads. The uncleanness does not infect the holiness in Jesus' economy of holiness. And so when the unclean or the unholy comes in contact with the holy, it's the holy that actually affects the unholy. When you turn on a light in a dark room, the light wins, no matter how dark the darkness is. Even the smallest, faintest light, the light wins. And it might not look like it's a big, bright, like you might have a small little light bulb in a big, dark area, but there's never a darkness that's so dark that it keeps the light from actually shining. And when Jesus is touched and the woman is healed, Jesus isn't unclean. The woman is made whole. Or in their ritual, like this woman would not have been able to worship in the full way that she would have been able to worship because of her illness. Jesus actually affects the gaps or the shortcomings that people have. Then the scripture actually teaches that the people who follow Jesus today, like you and I on this earth, who for, if you're a follower of Jesus, are considered the body of Christ, which would mean we are the way that God makes contact with the world that is unholy. The interaction of the church with the world actually doesn't contaminate the church. It sanctifies the world. It makes the world, it spreads its holiness onto the world rather than having its uncleanness spread onto the church. A lot of Christians, a lot of churches think that this, um, that the gospel is a holiness contest. Uh, If you're not aware, we're part of a denomination that comes from what's called a holiness tradition. And what's, there are some great things, and that's why we're in it. But one of the bad things is that a long time ago, our denomination was a holiness contest. And people would try to figure out what they could do that was more holy than the other people so that they can be more holier and somehow win some kind of a contest. And so you would have things like, We're not going to play cards because some of those cards have faces on them and there's something bad about them. I don't know what's bad, but so we invented, uh, if you grew up at a Christian camp, you ever play Rook? Or if you play Dutch Blitz? If if you were in my youth group when you grew up, you played Dutch Blitz because it's the Christian card games. And you were holier than those people that played card games with secular cards. If there's no dice in your house because you're holier than the people who use dice. If you don't wear, and I know none of you are good at this, but you don't wear jeans on Sundays, and you think that's stupid, I can tell you my friend's name, who grew up not wearing jeans on Sunday because Sunday was too holy for your raggedy jeans. And it's kind of this weird thing, and you're like, well, your family doesn't wear them on Sunday? We don't wear them on Wednesday either, right? There you go. Like, it's this weird, you can end up in a holiness contest where you're trying to figure out, like, oh, you've got a what would Jesus do bracelet? 
I've got a not a fan bracelet to match my what would Jesus do bracelet and my fish tattoo. What are you going to do now? Right? Like, and we end up in this contest of, uh, which it, it ends up being a Christian consumer contest, but I don't want to criticize that today. Instead, what ends up happening is we start trying to figure out who can be the most holy or who can be the most orthodox, thinking that that's what Jesus came to earth to do or that's the way that Jesus interacted with the people around him. And what it ends up... Oh, okay. What ends up actually happening is you believe that there's varying degrees of holiness, that there are the most holy and the not-so-holy. And you would naturally think that you're in the not-so-holy and you want to move up to the holier the people who wear robes and funky hats, they must be holy because they look ridiculous, so there must be something there. But the reality is the person who wears the robes and the funky hats has the same holiness that the lowest of the low person who follows Jesus has because your holiness is not dependent on your behavior. It's dependent on your contact with Jesus, meaning salvation is not this holiness contest It really is a dependency on the holiness of God coming in contact with us and making us holy so that when you feel like you're at the lowest point or when you feel like you're the worst Christian, you actually bear, if you're a follower of Jesus, you bear the same level of holiness that the holiest person you can imagine actually bears. Because your holiness is not dependent on you, it's dependent on God. What happens if we don't believe this is we end up in this, we're, we're focused on this part of the verse that says we are in this world, but we're not really, what we're really focused on is not being of this world. Like we need to be as not of this world as possible. So, Because this world is bad and, and we're not of this world. And so the focus of Jesus' prayer isn't that uh, that isn't a movement or a position that's with people. It's they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. We need to focus on not being of this world. Not of this world, not of this. This is actually, there's a cool Christian clothing company called Not of This World. And I'm sure they make cool threads, but they're bad theology because they're pushing something. Because being of this world is seen as bad. So the movement of Christianity is a movement. I don't mean to criticize a clothing company if you're wearing that clothes. I'm really glad that you're wearing clothes today. But, um, but there is this movement of Christianity where the movement is to get as far away from the world, as far away from the world as you possibly can. And if I'm close to the world, then I need to move further away. And I don't encourage a boundary-pushing Christianity Like, where's the border of what's Christian and what's not? And if I keep this foot here, can I go over here? Like Christianity, um, the Bible specifically outlaws drunkenness. But can I get a little bit, like I'm not drunk drunk. So I'm just like, I'm still over here. But I'm kind of just over the edge a little bit. But I'm still balancing here, right? So you know, there are cops in our church and they would totally arrest you for this move, right? All right, but... But, but, but if there is, we, if we view Christianity as this, where's the border? Like, how far can I go before I break the rules? That's not a Christianity that I, that I believe in. 
But I don't believe in a Christianity where the point is to get as far away from the world as you possibly can. Because then what salvation is, and the majority of salvation theology in our culture has long been that salvation is an escape plan. You escape from this world, and you escape from the fiery hell, but your salvation, we use words like it's your golden ticket, and that salvation is meant to take me out of this because I'm not of this world and something of this world is bad. I know what it is, and so I need to be better, and I need to be more holy, and I need to move there. And so the movement is away from the very people who you used to be and towards an escape plan from this thing that is just terrible. Leads me to number three. (laughs) So number one was seeing God. Number two is being holy. Number three is this word sent into. Jesus actually says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you actually bear the commission of Jesus to be sent into the world. The place that you belong is in the world. You are not of the world, but you're also not holding a holiness contest to figure out how far from the world you can get. You are holy and you exist in the world, and by nature, your holiness actually spreads onto the world around you. And theologically, I can push this with all sorts of verses. So if you want to challenge me on this point, challenge me on this one, that your holiness is more powerful and is more effective than the effect of the world on you. Now, here's another disclaimer. (laughs) I... uh, once worked in a youth ministry where, and I took over this youth ministry where I found out that some of the interns were trying to minister to kids at Monteith, and the best way to build relationships with them was to get stoned with them. Nope. (laughs) They weren't interns anymore. (laughs) I'm not saying you need to go into the world and sin like the world. That kind of thinking is very, very dangerous when you say things like, Oh, this per- I had someone tell me when I was becoming a youth pastor that I wouldn't be able to relate with kids that were getting drunk because I had never got drunk. And I'm like, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, but I, I, I was, uh, thankfully, that was one of those moments where it didn't come out of my mouth. But to be able to say something like, if, if you've never gone through it, you can't speak to it. You can't speak to it in a certain way. But I don't need to be a dummy to help dummies not be dumb anymore. Right? <laughs> There is this, you you can write that down. Do you want me to say it again? (laughs) You don't need to actually experience someone else's sin in order to tell them about the joy of salvation and a relationship with God. And so I'm not saying by being in the world we go as far into the world as we, as in a sinful, harmful way. What I'm saying is, in the same way that Jesus entered the world and never sinned, we are sent into the world. Not called, not called, not like, oh, please do this. Not like, oh, if you're a really good Christian, please go do this. It's if you're a follower of Jesus, you're sent. Like, it's not like an option thing. It's not like a, oh, you know, I'm kind of tired out today. It's an everyday, all the time, 
to be a follower of Jesus is to be a person who's sent into the world. Sent into the world to spread your holiness that is dependent on God's work in your life into the world around you. You're sent. And it's not like, oh, maybe someday God will send me. You're already sent. Like this is who you are. You're, if you're a follower of Jesus, your position in the world is that you've been sent. Like if you have a relationships with other people, like in your family or at your work, those are actually relationships that God has sent you into. Like if you have a job or a family or a classes that you go to and you think it's just random because I like signed up for something, it's actually, if you believe the Bible, it's actually something that God has actually set up and sent you into. Not so that you can like put on a billboard or something, you know, like some people will say like, so you need to witness, like they might be the only Jesus you ever see. You know how I feel about that. If, if I'm the only Jesus you ever see, you've got a depressing version of Jesus, right? Like there is just, you are not Jesus. But just by being a person of God, a person of integrity, a person that values others, a person that actually chooses to love those around them because you see the image of God and all the people around you, your holiness will actually spread onto the people around you. I'm not saying you need to go to work on Monday and start passing out old, those old cartoon chick tracks so that people don't go to hell because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus actually went and found the people who were rejected by society, and you know what he did? He hung out with them, and he learned their names, and because of Jesus' own holiness, those people started responding and started saying, I don't know what's going on, but I want some of what you have because I've never seen anything like this before. Jesus didn't protest. Jesus didn't set up a strategy. Jesus didn't do like some, like, I'm an undercover Christian, gonna, I'm going to hang out at the bar. Jesus actually just went to people and were like, hey, I'm the Messiah, do you, and I want to come over to your house later. Is that all right? <laughs> uh, okay, Messiah. And you don't tell people you're the Messiah, but you can go to people and say, we should hang out. And they will probably think, no, I don't think we should hang out because you're a Christian, and I know Christians hate me. They hopefully won't say that out loud, but if they do, you know you've got a friend. But if you hang out with people and you just build relationships, your holiness actually spreads in the world. Their uncleanness doesn't spread. It isn't a sin to live in the dangerous world. It's actually an answer to Jesus' own prayer. It's actually an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. So if you want to serve Jesus or if you want to follow Jesus, the question isn't how holy can I be? The question actually is how can, like, how can I be sent into the world? And how can I view myself as like, this is why I don't understand that we have some people that are missionaries We should just be, like, missionaries we see as this, like, they're the cream of the crop. When actually we're sending them the furthest away, so maybe maybe they're the ones we need to send away. (laughs) We're going to have, we will have missionaries visit, and you'll need to not tell them that joke. But you are a missionary 
to the relationships, to the workplace, to the classes, to the family that you have. And there's no way around that. There's no option to that. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so when people want to find the grove, the hope is that they don't find us on a Sunday morning, but they find us standing next to the people that they least expect us to be standing next to. The hope is not that all your friends are super Christians, but some of your friends are the people that your other friends wonder why you hang out with them. That's a different measurement of success, isn't it? When your Christian friends go, you know them? I've had this happen to me. It's, it's awesome. You hang out. Like, and non-Christians never say this. Uh, Christian people will be like, you, you, you like, talk to them? You, you're friends with them? Yeah. And then it's even funnier when I tell them they go to my church. And they're like, they, they go to? Oh. What's wrong with your church? Right? And <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing. <laughs> Because it only happens to people who are having a holiness contest. Because they're worried about not getting people's non-holiness on themselves. Because they have a bad view of who Jesus is. And our presence, or sorry, our position of being with people is not a result of some kind of like, we're going to be cool. It's a result of us wanting to be where Jesus is. And if you read the scripture and you want to know where Jesus was, he wasn't hanging out with the holiness contest. He was trying to figure out a way to reach the people that seemed to be on the margins of society and seemed to be beyond reach because Jesus looked at them and saw his own mere image in them and understood that they declared the glory of God just in their own existence. So we're going to be with people. And when our community or when our town wonders what our position is, our position is with them. And what that means is things are going to be way more complicated at our church than they need to be. Because Jesus was constantly making things in his own life way more complicated than they needed to be. He was turning water to wine for crying out loud. And now we have to explain that. He was going around and hanging out in a way that people said he was a drunk because of the people he hung out with. Jesus was accused of being a drunk because of the people he hung out with. And what a great reputation it would be for Christians in our church to develop. I don't know what's wrong with that church, but I think they're all drunks. That's not going on the sign, but that is a win. <laughs> it's not a win if it's because you're kind of tipsy and can't drive home. It's a win because the friends that we have and the people that we're sent to aren't just our preferred contacts or the people who will benefit us. They're the people who would benefit from our holiness overflowing onto them. So let's pray that way. Is that all right? And it's not like I'm going to pray for you that you'll do a better job at being holy. You can go. <laughs> the band is going to go up on stage while we're praying, and then we're going to worship God. But I want to pray together, not just pray like uh, me pray for you in some kind of a high priestly way, because I think Jesus prayed for us. And so instead, we're going to pray together together. And you don't all have to talk out loud. I'll do the out loud talking. But we're going to pray together that we're actually able to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. All right? So, and let's stand. We do that. So let's stand together and we'll actually pray together. Jesus, we come before you in the most humble way, thankful that you prayed for us. 
Like, we're thankful when ordinary people pray for us, but it's especially great to know that Jesus, you yourself, prayed for us. And your prayer admitted who we are, that we're not people who are of the world. We're not people with the same understanding or outlook or viewpoint of a person who is of the world. But we're people of you. And by your sanctification and through your, the sanctification of your word, we don't seek to be the most holy around because we depend on your holiness. We don't pray that we would be the holiest church in town because we believe everyone who follows Jesus is equally bearing of the holiness of God. But we will ask, Lord, that you would build in us and that we would actually earn through answering your prayer a reputation for being with those that our world doesn't see as holy. And that we would be able to see the image of God in the people who it's hardest for us to see you in. Whether it's because of their social status or their place in our community or whether it's because of baggage that we have with them or broken relationships at work or in family or at school. God, allow us to see your world the way you see it and allow us to move into our calling to move into our mission, not just like our option, sorry, not our calling, not like an optional thing that we might do for you, but allow us to move into who we are as a sent people, as a people who are in the world, not a people who are building a fortress to keep the world out, but a people who are going over our own walls in order to be among the people that you yourself are among. Allow us to be with you. By your grace we pray this and we worship you in the same way. Amen.